Hebrews 6, beginning in verse 11. Author of Hebrews writes, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. How can we be so sure? It's one of the most important questions a person can ask. How can I be so sure? But rarely are we ever honest enough to truly answer that question. Because I think, if we're honest, the truth is we're not that sure, are we? Am I sure that I'm doing the right thing? Am I sure of what tomorrow will bring Am I sure that my kids are going to turn out okay? Am I sure that my future is secure? Am I sure that other people like me? Am I sure that God is pleased with me? Am I sure that I am saved? Left to ourselves, we lack assurance. Every single day, running on a loop, we have in the back of our mind this nagging question, how can I be so sure? We don't really want to dwell on that question for very long, and so we distract ourselves. We commit ourselves to pastimes and diversions, to a phone in our hands, to the news, to sports, to our work, to our families, even wonderful things all to distract us from sitting long enough to ask the question, Am I really sure of what tomorrow will bring? The author of Hebrews this morning, after warning us against the dangers of counterfeit Christianity, is now turning our attention to what it means to have assurance, what it means to be sure. And rather than anchor our assurance in ourselves, in our own faith, or the lack thereof. He anchors our assurance in the character of God. This morning, brothers and sisters, friends, what I want you to see is though there is rarely anything in this life that we can be sure of in and of ourselves, we can be sure of this. God is faithful. God is trustworthy. And God has sent us his son. So the first thing we can be sure of is this, 
God is faithful. I want you to look with me at your Bible. Hebrews 6, verse 11. The author of Hebrews says, We desire each of you to show the same earnestness to have full assurance of hope until the end. If you were with us last week, you saw how there is a deep and sobering warning that every one of us needs to hear, especially if you've grown up in a Christian home, in a Christian culture. We'll talk more about the dangers of Christian culture next week. But last week we saw how we need to be warned that it's possible to look the part, to go through the motions, to, to force ourselves to act a certain way and to give intellectual assent to a certain set of truths and yet not really have the gospel deep in our hearts. And so now we see what the author of Hebrews, what his intention is for us. is not just to scare us, but he wants us to have assurance. He wants us to be sure. And so he says this in verse 12, in order that we wouldn't be sluggish, that we wouldn't be passive, that we wouldn't just go through the motions, but that we would be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. In other words, that we would stand on a long line of those who've gone before us, these men and women of faith who have held on to the promises of God, not just so we could emulate them, but that we could see in their lives the very faithfulness of God. And the example that he gives us is Abraham. I want you to look at verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham... Since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. The book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, tells us that long ago God came to a man named Abraham. And when he came to Abraham, he made Abraham a promise. This is what it says in Genesis 17. Let me read it to you. God came to Abram, it says, when Abram was 99 years old. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I may make my covenant, that is my promise, between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. God came to Abram, not because of anything that Abraham was, but because of who God is. God is faithful and out of his faithfulness, he pursued Abraham. He pursued Abraham first. And then out of his unfailing covenantal love, he made him a promise. That's there in Genesis 17. Let me read you some of the promises of God to Abram. God promised to make Abraham exceedingly fruitful. He promised that he would make Abraham into nations. He promised that kings would come from him. He promised that he would be given land for an everlasting possession. And most importantly, he made Abraham this promise. I will be your God and you will be my people. It's a promise that reverberates throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will be your God. You will be my people. We see it in God's promise to David, God's promise to Moses. We see it in the New Covenant. We see it in Revelation 21 over and over and over again. This is God's promise. I will be your God. You will be my people. 
But the most amazing part of all of this is that when God made this promise to Abraham, he told him that this promise was not just for him, but for his offspring and for their offspring and their offspring for generations and generations and generations. And that this promise would last forever. In other words, what you might not realize this morning is that God's promise to Abraham, this promise that we're reading about, the promise referenced by the author of Hebrews, this promise from the book of Genesis, is still in effect today. It was a promise that was going to last forever, a promise not only for Abraham, but a promise for you and me. If you've taken our baptism class, you've heard me talk about this. I know not all of you grew up in church, but if you did, and especially if you grew up in this part of the country, you probably grew up singing a song called Father Abraham. You know the song? I'm not gonna make you stand up and do it, although I'm tempted. <laughs> Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them and so are you. And so let's all praise the Lord. And then for some reason we put our right arm in and we take it out and we, <laughs> we do hand motions. And, and look, I was the kid that was you know, always too cool for stuff like that. Always wondering like, why are we doing this? Why are we singing this? Why, like, how am I a, a son of Abraham? And why am I now praising the Lord because of it? Well, as it turns out, that silly Sunday school song is deeply biblical. The apostle Paul put it this way in Galatians chapter three, verse seven. He said, know then that it is those of faith who are sons and daughters of Abraham. In other words, this morning, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul wants you to know this. That means you are a son or daughter of Abraham. So why should we all praise the Lord? Because according to the promise, every promise given to Abraham, I will be your God and you will be my people. Every promise that was for Abraham and for his descendants, if you by faith are his offspring, that means this, the promise is for you. God's promise is for you. And what I want you to see is he is faithful. Out of God's faithfulness, God pursued a nobody named Abraham, and he blessed him. Out of God's faithfulness, God promised him a people, and he gave us the church of Jesus Christ. Out of his faithfulness, God promised Abraham nations, and he has rescued every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. Out of his faithfulness, God promised kings, and he gave us King David, and then he gave us King David's greater son, the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. Out of God's faithfulness, God promised land for an everlasting possession, and God has given us heaven. And out of God's faithfulness, God promised, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And God gave us his son, Jesus Christ, in order to make us his own. Friends, our God is faithful. 
He's faithful enough to keep a promise that began in Genesis. A promise that he then fulfilled through the death and resurrection of Jesus and a promise that he is now keeping for you and for me. And so I ask you this morning, what are you building your life upon? What promises are you resting on? The Gospel of Matthew, Jesus tells a story about two builders, one who builds his house on the rock and the other who builds his house on the sand. And when the storms came, the house that was built on the rock was standing and the house built on the sand was swept away. The truth is, you and I, every single day, we build our lives on the sand, do we not? Every empty promise of this world we have built our lives upon and they let us down. Are you building your life upon the rock, the faithfulness of God through his promises for you and for me, his promise, I will be your God and I will make you my people. Not only is God faithful, but second, the second thing we can be sure of in this life is that God is trustworthy. I want you to look at verse 16. The author of Hebrews says, for people swear by something greater than themselves and in all their disputes an oath and final confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, who's that? That's you and me. We are the heirs of the promise. When he wanted to show the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So now the author is moving from Abraham, ever so briefly, to give us an example that we might all be familiar with, the idea of an oath. Now, what's an oath? An oath is usually some kind of formal calling upon God, asking him to bear witness to the truth that we are speaking. That either what we say is truthful, or that we will do what we say we are going to do. So much like the, the vows, the oaths that our missionaries ju just took this morning, before God, they took an oath that what they are saying and what they are, do, what are saying will happen that they're going to do. And they're asking for God's help to make that be so. Or you think about a witness in a courtroom. Before they take the witness stand, what do they say? I promise to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. They're taking an oath before God that what they are saying is truthful. Or maybe you have said this before, I swear to God. That was a no-no in our household growing up because it was blasphemy. Because when you're saying that, you're saying, I swear before God that what I say is true. And so whatever you're saying, you better mean it. Otherwise, it's blasphemous. But if you think about what that phrase means, I swear to God, you're saying, look, I really want you to believe what I'm saying. And so I swear to God. I'm swearing before God as my witness that what I'm saying is true. And so here, Hebrews 6, verse 13, author of Hebrews asks a question. If an oath is swearing before God as your witness that what you are saying is true, then who does God swear to? He tells us of verse 13. He says, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, 
he swore by himself. God not only made a promise to Abraham, but he made an oath. He swore to himself that this thing that he was saying is true. God is trustworthy. And not only is this a clever way for us to think about his trustworthiness, but when the author of Hebrews is telling us that he had no one to swear by except for himself, he's referencing a specific moment in Abraham's life. It's the moment when God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac. Now, of all the stories in the Bible, I think this is one of the hardest to swallow for parents, and rightly so. If you think of Abraham and Sarah's story, they were infertile, they could not bear children. It made it hard to believe God's promise that he would give them offspring. And finally, now that he's given them a son, Isaac, God then tells Abraham to go up to the mountain and sacrifice him. Not only is that hard for us to swallow, but even harder is that Abraham then did it. He took Isaac, made him even carry the wood, and there he goes up to the mountain to sacrifice his son. And right then, just as he's raising the knife, God provides a ram to die in the place of his son. Why? Why? (laughs) That's a fair question. Why God? Why? Because God's trustworthy. God's trustworthy. You can believe his promises. And this radical trust that Abraham is showing teaches us something of the character of faith. Faith is not just believing that there is a God out there. James reminds us that even the demons believe and shudder. No, faith is trusting in the promises of God. It's trusting that God really did say that he's trustworthy, that he will keep his promise. And so after Abraham is going to offer up Isaac, after an angel stops his hand and the ram is provided in his place, God then doubles down on his promise and he makes an oath. He says, surely I swear by myself, I will surely bless you. I will multiply your offspring as the stars in the heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore. Friends, God is trustworthy. I think sometimes it's hard for us to believe that because we've been lied to. And I think that's probably universally true of all of us this morning. Every one of you, including me, we've been lied to. And when you have been lied to by someone else, especially someone you care about, It makes it hard to believe other people. It makes it even hard to believe God. But I think more than that, the other thing that I know that's universally true is not just that you've been lied to, but you're a liar. So am I. Not only have others been dishonest with us, but the truth is every one of us, we've been dishonest as well. And not just with other people, but we go through life being dishonest with ourselves. Hiding, posing, playing a part, playing a role dishonest with ourselves and dishonest with God, and that makes it hard to believe that there is someone out there who's trustworthy. And what I want you to see this morning is there is. God is trustworthy. There was no one greater for him to swear by, and so he swore by himself. He is a faithful God. 
and he's worthy of our trust. We can trust him. One of the greatest examples of this kind of trust is in our prayers. A prayer is a prayer of trust, is it not? That's going to God and asking him to do something that we recognize we cannot do on ourselves, when we are trusting him to do it. And at the end of every prayer, we say the word amen. Have you ever thought about why we say that? It's one of the great phrases of the Christian life that just comes right off our tongues. But why do we say the word amen? The Apostle Paul tells us, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. The promises of Abraham have found their yes in Jesus. The promises of the Bible have found their yes in Jesus. That promise, I will be your God and you will be my people, has found its yes in Jesus. And this is then what he says. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Why do we say amen at the end of every prayer? Because when we say amen, which literally means it is so, or it is true, or let it be done according to your will, every time that we say amen, we are no less than trusting the promises of God. And so every time that you pray a prayer at the end, when you say amen, you are reminding yourself and others, God is faithful. God is trustworthy, and God will do what he said he is going to do. The greatest example of this, though we are unsure of so many things in this life, the thing that you can absolutely be certain of is this, that God has given his son. The third and final thing, God is faithful, God is trustworthy, God has given his son. I want you to look at verse 19. The author of Hebrews says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. In the first century, the predominant symbol for the Christian church was not the cross. Can you even imagine that? It wasn't the cross. The predominant symbol for the Christian church in the first century was the anchor. I want you to imagine for a moment this morning a ship being tossed about in the sea. A powerful and strong storm has come and the winds are blowing. The ship is being tossed all over the place. Waves are crashing over the side. There are rocks on the seashore that this ship is now straying dangerously to. And the only hope that you have standing on this ship is the anchor that has been put down to keep the ship in its place. The author of Hebrews is saying, look, I know there's little we can be sure of in this life. I know the storms have come. I know there's persecution on every side. I know it seems like everybody seems to be falling away. I know it seems that your sin is too great and too heinous and too gripping on your soul. I know that you've been let down. I know that it's been hard. But there is an anchor for our souls. 
And that anchor has been firmly planted into the rock. And that anchor's name is Jesus Christ. He is the sure and steadfast anchor of our soul. What are you sure of this morning? Though there's little that we can be sure of in ourselves and in others in this world, we can be sure of this. 1 John 5, verse 11. This is the testimony. God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know for sure that you have eternal life. This morning, I'm asking you, what are you sure of? Do you have the Son? If you believe that Jesus Christ came to die and to rise again for you, to take your sin on his body, to die on the cross and on the third day rise again, then you can know for sure that you have eternal life. Do you have the Son? He is our sure and steadfast hope. Do you have the Son? He is the anchor of our souls. If you do not have the Son this morning, if you are unsure about him, as we close, I invite you to pray with me that Christ would become your anchor. If this morning you have walked with Jesus for a long time and you need to be reminded that we have a sure and steadfast anchor in the Son, I invite you to pray as well. Jesus Christ, our Savior, our King, he has come for you and for me. He's faithful he is trustworthy, and he is our hope, the anchor of our souls. Let me pray. Father, I do pray if there's anyone here that does not know your son, does not receive him as their anchor, does not know for certain they have eternal life, I pray, God, that they would now before you as their witness and that you, Holy Spirit, would bear witness to this, that there can be certainty, that we can be sure. I pray that through faith, they would ask you to be their strong tower and their refuge, that you, Jesus, would be their savior, that they would place their hope and trust in you. For those of us who have walked with you for a long time, who've called ourselves Christians, and yet when the storms of life has come, it's so easy to forget that the anchor has been already sent over the side, that it's firmly rooted in the rock. Lord, would you remind us that we have a sure and steadfast anchor for our souls in Jesus? And Lord, as we leave this place, may these be the things that we are sure of. And may this be our cause for worship, for the church that we hold so dear, and for the calling you've given us as your ambassadors. May the thing that drives us be that we can be sure that you're faithful, you are trustworthy, and that, Father, you have given us your son, Jesus, for our salvation. Stir in our hearts this morning, we pray. Work in us and give us hope and security in him, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.